Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. Uh, my name's Ryan. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to have you with us. If you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. Um, hey, I, I need to start off this morning a little bit differently than I normally do. Uh, as much as I would love to be able to just preach um, and have my time here sort of separate from the rest of my life, um, that's a bit of a challenge. Um, and this morning I was uh, back praying with our team. It was 8.53. My wife called. My wife never calls on a Sunday morning. Um, so I knew that it was something significant. And she said, um, Ryan, I think Louie, our dog, is dying. Um, and uh, obviously I had some place to be right here. And so I couldn't go home. So one of our um, sec- gracious security team members went home, uh, carried him to the car and drove to the vet with her. And so um, I say that just to say uh, I'm a little t- tender this morning. Um, he is having surgery right now and they think he's going to be okay. But um, I-, I say that for a few reasons. Number one, I just, just be gracious to me, please. Um, second, um, second, uh, it's, in my, in my opinion, and it is that, it's no coincidence that today we're starting a few-week series on Holy Spirit, and um, I don't play the spiritual attack card a whole lot, but it just seems like maybe, just maybe, this is that, and so I want to encourage you to have um, your heart open to what God might want to say. It seems like there's some resistance to the message, and that means... My, my conviction is that means that there's also some importance to it, okay? So um, I would just graciously ask you to pray for me today, but um, let me pray for us as we go and dive into the scriptures. So Lord, um, all of us come with different emotions and things going on in our life. And in the midst of all of that, we know that you are a God who meets us in reality, not in some fantasy. And I'm really thankful for that today. I'm thankful that your spirit has power, especially when we feel weak. So would you use this weak, broken vessel um, to deliver what would be your message today to your people that you love? So pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. amen. The term had been floating around for a number of years and maybe even decades when it finally hit the front page of the Harvard Divinity Bulletin in 2010. They ran an article that they entitled, Spiritual But Not Religious. Raise your hand if you've heard that term. Spiritual, but not religious. This language is now a fairly common part of our modern day vernacular, although it hasn't always been that way. So, so what does it mean to be spiritual but not religious? It, it means, at least in part, that people want to hold on to this idea that there's something bigger than us in the universe. But maybe they don't want to be confined by institutional religion. There's this conviction among some that there is a creator God who may even be good and benevolent and loving and, and yet... That they've been at times hurt by the institutions that 
support him or put him forward for people to wrestle with. There's this idea that we were made for more, and yet there's also this conviction that things have gotten a bit messy. So you'll hear people say things like, my church is my yoga studio, or my church is going to the mountains, or my church is a walk on the beach, or my church is mindfulness every morning before I go to work. Spiritual, but not religious. That would encompass roughly 27% of adults in America today if you believe Pew Research Center's most recent study. By the way, that's up 8% in the last five years. Spiritual, but not religious, is not going anywhere. And I would say it's not going anywhere primarily because there are a lot of people who have been hurt by religious institutions, and yet we cannot erase the fact that we have eternity in our hearts, that we were born with a longing, even a holy haunting, to be in relationship with God. Now, you're here on a Sunday morning, so my guess is that maybe, just maybe, you don't fall into that category. Maybe you do, or maybe you go, Ryan, those things that you listed are some of the best ways I've connected with God. Okay, stick with me, though. Stick with me, because I think most of the people in this room and maybe watching online, this might not be our issue, but our issue might be that we are religious but not spiritual. Here's what I mean by that, that we have a cognitive understanding of what the scriptures teach, And yet we have little expectation that we will actually experience God. We understand who God is in our mind, and we may even believe in our heart, but we do not expect that God will show up in power. We don't want things to get weird. That's what religious but not spiritual people often will say. Like, we don't want things to get weird. Like, sometimes when you invite the Holy Spirit into things, it's sort of like the weird uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving, You're like, who invited him, right? And things start to get a bit strange. We often can be resistant to things like miracles, prophecy, tongues, healing. Yeah, religious, but not spiritual. I love the way that A.W. Tozer put it when he said, I remind you that there are Sorry, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them, they wouldn't find out for many months. That is quite the statement, is it not? Now, please hear me. This is nothing new. To be religious but not spiritual, meaning we sort of agree in our head, but we don't, ex- we don't expect to experience in our everyday lives is nothing new. When the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he gave a whole list of things to avoid, types of people to avoid. And then he stuck the dismount and he landed it on this. They have the appearance of godliness, but, say it with me church, denying its power, avoid such people. He goes, hey, people that play church, avoid them. They go through the motions, avoid them. They say all the right words, but don't have any expectation that God would actually show up in power. He says, avoid them. This was an issue 2,000 years ago, and I would posit to you that it is still an issue today. It's still an issue today. So here's my question. Here's my question. 
I've often wrestled with the fact that it seems like people either sensationalize the Spirit or minimize the Spirit. And that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of healthy in between. So over the next few weeks, here's what I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to what I see as the healthy in between. The healthy of, God, we believe that you move and work in power. We don't want to minimize you. We don't want to sensationalize the spirit either. We want a biblically formed, God-ordained, spirit-empowered life. Amen? Amen? And that's exactly what Paul wants to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. So if you have your Bible, will you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? It's hard to believe, but we are in season five of our study in the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. It was written in roughly 54, 55 AD to a church that was struggling, that had come, out, come, that had come out of the pagan world, and was trying to figure out what it looked like to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Today, we're just going to dive into three verses but I think as you'll see, these verses are going to launch us in to the next few weeks and months that we have together as we study what it looks like to be people who the Spirit dwells in in powerful ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Right on. Listen to what Paul wrote. He began by writing, Now concerning, say it with me, church, spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there's a whole lot of debate going on about this very first verse because these two words, spiritual gifts that we have translated as two words in the English language in the original Greek are only one word. The word is pneumaticos and it's an adjective but it doesn't have a noun that it's modifying. So it's a bit slippery. It's a bit hard to translate. You might literally translate it now now concerning spiritual. And just leave it there. The word gifts isn't in the original. So some people have proposed translations like Gordon Fee. He wrote, now about the things of the spirit. Another uh, commentator and pastor said, we should translate this. Now about the stuff the spirit does. It's a bit less formal. Eugene Peterson translates this in the message, his paraphrased version. He translates it, now concerning various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. You see how it's different than spiritual gifts? Because spiritual gifts, whenever we mention spiritual gifts, my guess is you start thinking through which gifts you have. And maybe even more importantly, which gifts you don't. And we sort of identify the gifts that we don't have by, well, I've never had that experience and I've never done that and I don't have the ability to do that, so I must not have that gift. And immediately what we start doing when we read a phrase like spiritual gifts is we pigeonhole ourselves. And that is not Paul's intention in writing this first verse, not in the least. In fact, over the next few weeks, we are going to talk about some of the different ways the Spirit manifests himself. That's verse 7. That's the word Paul uses. Manifests himself. But for today, what I want you to know is if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. This isn't for somebody else. This is for you. And I want you to notice what Paul's goal was in writing this section. He wanted them to be informed. He wanted them to to know. That word know is used three times in the first three verses. He wants them to know. Now, he has already written to them 
Because this church had a lot of spiritual activity. If you read through 1 Corinthians, one of the things that you will take note of is there were a lot of spiritual things that were going on in this church, right? And yet, he says, there are some areas that you're uninformed or misinformed, and he wants to draw those out. He's already said to this church, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And most of us would go, well, that's enough. That's enough information about the Spirit because the Spirit lives in us. Therefore, the Spirit is going to teach us what He wants us to do in light of His dwelling within us. And yet, Paul says, no, that's not enough. You actually need to be informed if you are going to be transformed. You need to know what the Spirit wants to do in you if you're going to participate with the Spirit's work in you. Or we might even just say it like this. We must be informed about the Spirit if we want to be empowered by the Spirit. And this runs contrary to the way that many of us view the Spirit's work in our lives. Because we assume erroneously that when we become followers of Jesus, we receive the Spirit of God in us, which is true, but we also assume that that Spirit comes with it sort of a owner's manual that is automatically downloaded into our brain so that we know how to walk and live in the Spirit. Let me just point out, If that were true, Paul would never have needed to write this passage. He would never have needed to write this passage. I I think it's probably uh, more akin to, um, like when you get a new iPhone, okay? Or if you're an Android user, we'll pray for you after, okay? Um, I'm just kidding. Like when you get a new iPhone, and there are features on this phone that you do not know exist, one of the most humbling things as a dad has been. My kids teaching me how to use my electronics. Did you know that on your phone, there's a feature, if you have an iPhone, that you can tap the back and you can tell your phone you wanted to do something when you tap the back of the phone twice? Did you know, did you know that you can, you know that face feature that is so convenient unless you're wearing a mask? Or really early in the morning when you wake up and don't look like yourself. Okay, but let's just say, wearing a mask, right? Did you know that you can have an identify my face feature with my mask on on your iPhone? How many knew that? Okay, now I feel like an idiot. (laughs) Really wish I would have known that a year ago. My goodness, that would have been so helpful. Now, the feature exists. The power is there. Did I know how to use it? No. And I think many of us, we operate in the spirit in the same way. But I don't know if it's um, the best illustration to equate the spirit with some sort of force or power in our life, like it's some, like out of Star Wars or something, right? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. And so maybe it's better to imagine that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in the home of your life. And you can either have the Holy Spirit living in the guest room, never to leave that room, And technically, he's living in your home. Or you can say to him, you have full access. Everything in my home is yours. You have become a refrigerator friend in the house of my life. Whenever you want, you can go look what's in there and what's mine is yours. And I think what Paul's saying is that that's the type of friendship that we want with the Spirit where he has control and he has power in our lives because we know what to expect. 
We know what to expect. And, and when we know what to expect, it will determine what we experience. That's why Paul went on to tease out two things that were really important for the followers of Jesus in Corinth to expect. Here's what he said. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, that's sort of like a dump truck term for people who are not a part of the family of God and they live like they're not a part of the family of God. You were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. Now you may remember, you may not, but you may remember that Paul has already discussed idolatry and idols a number of different times in the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's a bit of a confusing topic because in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, Paul said, an idol is really nothing. It's just a piece of wood or stone, no big deal. Eat food sacrificed to idols if your conscience will let you. But then in chapter 10, verse 20, he said, listen, be careful of idols because they could have a demon hiding behind them. And it's sort of like, hey, Paul, which one is it? Like, should we be on hyper alert concern or is it really just nothing? And here he says, while an idol does not have the ability to speak, it certainly has the ability to lead. And idols had gotten their fangs into these Corinthians before they came to faith in Jesus and drugged them further and further away from what we would call gospel. Now, before we write this off as some ancient primitive religious idea, can we just all acknowledge that idolatry still has significant power in our world today, right? That even though materialism may not be able to speak, it certainly holds sway. Even though greed doesn't have a voice, it's, it has shaped many lives. Even though power may not be able to literally raise his voice, still has the ability to drive lives into ruin and ruin relationships. Even though sexuality cannot say something literally, it says a bunch of things metaphorically, does it not? And so our idols, they speak today as well. And I think one of the ways they speak is identified so well by the psalmist in Psalm 115 when he wrote this. He said, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but they don't walk. And they don't make a sound in their throat. And at this point, if we just paused here, we would go, who needs to worry about idolatry? Doesn't sound like it's a big deal. Thank you very much, psalmist. And yet he continues writing and he says, those who make them, say this with me, church, become like them. And so do all who entrust in them. So, so the power of the idol is that as people make them and bow in worship to them, they start to look like them. They lead, as the Apostle Paul would say. Now, Paul is subtly pointing out a corollary here that we need to catch because it is subtleties. He's dancing a little bit with us because his point is, if, Corinthians, if before you came to faith in Jesus, you were led astray by mute idols, why would you assume that you would not be led by a living, speaking God? Like if an idol can do that, think about how much more the Holy Spirit can do in you. Because God is not mute, amen? 
His mouth was not crafted by human hands. His ears are perfectly capable of hearing you. And if a mute idol can lead, certainly the living God can lead. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to lay down pretty thick in this second verse. He wants us to know that the Holy Spirit speaks and leads so that we can be people who follow. And we must be informed about that truth so that we can live into that experience. Now, I know some Jesus followers, they're probably not in this room, okay? But who would be religious but not spiritual, and they would say something like, I believe that God can speak, but he only speaks through the Bible. He only speaks through the Bible. I don't really believe that God speaks through his spirit. There was a, a person that came up to me. I was a pastoring in Colorado, and we had a coffee shop that was attached to our church. And I had just given a sermon on Sunday about hearing God. And it was Monday morning. I was getting my cup of coffee, and one of our congregation members came in, and he said, Ryan, I like most of your sermons. And at that point, I knew it wasn't going to be a great conversation. <laughs> just kidding. And, and he said to me, I like most of your sermons, but... I'm just not so sure that we can actually hear God speak the way that you talked about yesterday. And I said, fair enough, fair enough. Let me ask you this. I said, you see all the evil that's going on in the world, all the, all the tragedies, all the ways that people are being taken advantage of. Do you believe that evil spiritual forces are influencing that type of activity in our world? And he went, absolutely. 100%. And I said back to him as gently and pastorally as I could, does it trouble you that you give more power to evil forces than you do to God? See, because I think a lot of times we would say yes and amen to the fact that evil forces are at work. The battle is not against flesh and blood, right? And yet we would struggle with saying, God, you actually want to speak to me. I will point out that those evil forces don't have a collective book that they're pointing people to, to read about so that they can follow, right? And so maybe, just maybe, we should open ourselves up to God to be led, to hear his voice in some ways that we would say are not in contrary to scripture by any means, but certainly supplemental to it. One of the uh, most surprising things, I think, in reading through the Gospels, is seeing the way that Jesus was empowered and led by the Spirit. This is a shocker if you just read it and take it at face value. It is absolutely shocking. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus is anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel. Jesus is given the Spirit so that he can drive out demons and heal people who are sick. The Spirit of God resurrected Jesus from the dead. Did you know that Peter, in one of his Acts sermons that he preached, went so far as to say, you all yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter's summary of why Jesus could do what Jesus could do is not, well, clearly he's God, he can do whatever he wants. 
Peter said, the reason that Jesus could live the powerful kind of life he had was because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. You guys, that's, that's a game changer. Because that Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus, the scriptures say, is the same Holy Spirit that anoints you and me. Come on. It's not a, we don't get a JV Holy Spirit. You know that, right? It's not like, well, we'll give Paulson JV as Holy Spirit works his way up to varsity, right? No, he's either Holy Spirit or he's not. And the scriptures say that we have the spirit of God that lives in us. So then my question back to God is, what's the difference? Like Jesus's life doesn't look like my life often looks. Can I get an amen? And the truth of the matter, friends, is not that Jesus had more of the spirit, that the Spirit had more of him. In fact, we might say it like this. Jesus didn't have more of the Spirit than we do. The Spirit had more of him than he often has of us. That Jesus was fully surrendered, fully obedient. And therefore, 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 he lived in the Spirit's power. Because when the Spirit is obeyed, God's power is displayed. And so, my guess is you're going, okay, well, Ryan, how do we hear the Spirit? How, how do we listen to the Spirit of God? And we could do weeks of teaching on that, but let me give you three minutes worth of teaching on that, okay? And I'm going to give you three ways that the Spirit often speaks. The Spirit speaks by illuminating Scripture. That's way number one, okay? Where He will take a passage of Scripture and just, you will know in your bones, this one's for me. Anybody ever had that happen? You may have read a passage a hundred times and you read it and it's like you're reading it for the very first time. Um, there's a passage that just stood out to me uh, this week. I'm in our um, New Testament in, in a year walkthrough and we are in 2 Corinthians this week. And verse 9 of chapter 1 says this, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And for me, hard stop that morning. But I was convicted that the Spirit of God was showing me, Ryan, this is what God's doing in your life. He wants you to learn more and more. I want you to learn more and more what it looks like to rely on God who can raise the dead. Second way is as we cultivate a robust prayer life, we start to understand the Spirit's voice and leading more and more. You cannot walk in the Spirit's power if you are not a person of prayer. It just doesn't happen. You guys, if Jesus needed to sneak away to meet with his Father early in the morning and pray, maybe, just maybe, prayer needs to be a significant part of our life too. I don't think that you can disconnect Jesus walking in power and Jesus sneaking away for prayer. They are deeply connected. And if you are longing to see God move and work in your life in more significant ways, then the first step is to say, God, I need to seek you in prayer. And then the third thing is that we would be people who by faith step out when we sense the Spirit's prompting. Because here's the deal. You're going to fall on your face a few times. It just happens. It's just going to happen. 
You're going to say to somebody, it's, I, I sense that God is at work in this way, or I, um, I, I want to share my faith with you because I just get the sense that God is at work in your life. And you'll fall on your face a few times, and that's perfectly acceptable. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly okay. What's not okay is to just play it safe and sit on our hands and never expect that God wants to do anything great. And see, as we step out more, we'll start to recognize his voice more because it is a learned voice. Anybody want to testify that the more you listen to the Spirit of God, step out in in response to his promptings, the more you'll be able to recognize this is from God. And then you'll be able to step into it more confidently. But don't make no mistake about it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Why wouldn't we have great expectations? So after pointing out that um, this church knew what it was like to be led by spiritual forces, even though they weren't from God, he wants to answer the question, I think, well, how do we not get led astray by evil spirits that might want to destroy us rather than give us life. Here's what he says. Verse three. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And there's a lot of debate among scholars. Was this a phrase that was being uttered in Corinthian churches? Was this something that they'd heard in temples? Certainly probably would have been and then somehow made its way into the church, we're not exactly sure. But what he's saying is you cannot be indwelt with the Spirit and led by the Spirit and say Jesus is accursed. On the contrary, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So this is so important, you guys, as we get ready to go on this journey over the next few weeks together. Because some of us read ahead, some of you read ahead, and you're like, Oh, prophecy, healing, tongues, words of knowledge. Wow, that's some interesting stuff. And I would say, praise be to God, it is. We're not going to skip any of it. We're diving into all of it. We're going to say, Jesus, whatever you want to give us, give it to us. Right? That's, that's my posture. God, whatever you want to give... We're open to receive. That's, that's our heart in coming before you. But before Paul ever talks about anything ecstatic, he talks about something intelligible. Before Paul ever talks about something sort of uber spiritual that we might consider strange or off the wall or weird, he talks about a confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. Then the Holy Spirit will work in our rationale to help us see and to savor Jesus. And this happens before the other manifestations of the Spirit take place. So here's my question. I'm back to what the Corinthians might have been wondering. How do we determine whether or not an experience that we have or a a spiritual experience that we have is actually from God? Capital G. And what the answer is, Paul's answer is one word. What's his answer? Jesus. What, what does the Spirit do about Jesus? Does the Spirit point to Jesus? Does the Spirit affirm Jesus? Does the Spirit lift high Jesus? And this is consistent all throughout the New Testament, you guys. 
all throughout the New Testament. And remember, the New Testament was written in a world that was charged with an understanding of spirituality. Like we live in a post-enlightenment world where materialism, even though we might not say that we're materialists, oftentimes we operate that way, not the world the Corinthian church was living in. Not the world the New Testament church was living in. See, John would write this to the churches. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Implication, there are other spirits out there. There are other spirits out there that are after your affection and your heart. And they want to lead you and guide you. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Well, John, that sounds like a huge issue. How in the world should we know which spirits are from God and which aren't? He goes, "Um, just hold off, Paulson, I'm getting there. By this... You know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John clearly lays out we, we have at our fingertips um, a, a true north, uh, a litmus test, if you will. We can know if a spiritual experience is from God or if it's a counterfeit from a demon that wants to lead us astray. What do they do with Jesus? Does this spirit point us to Jesus or does it draw us away from Jesus? And I love that John doesn't give us the liberty to create a Jesus of our own making. He goes, um, no, no. The Jesus that we're talking about is the Jesus that came in the flesh. Uh, He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. He walked the streets of Galilee. He healed people. He drove out demons. And eventually he gave his life on a Roman cross. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. Not some other counterfeit hijacked Jesus. That's the Jesus that John is writing about. And he goes, okay, what does the spirit that you're listening to do with that Jesus? That's the litmus test on whether or not something is genuinely from God or not. But I think this should mess with us a little bit, you guys. I'm just going to be honest. It gives us a different rubric to work within, a different world to sort of explore and feel our way around in. Because our way of understanding whether or not something is good and true and from God cannot be, is it real? Because there are real evil spirits that have power and sway. The Corinthian church knew that. The, The other rubric it can be is, am I comfortable with it? And we can't decide whether or not something's genuine or real if it aligns with all of our theological convictions. Well, that one doesn't check all the boxes. And John would go, what does it do with Jesus? I'm not interested in your boxes. What does it do with Jesus? Is Jesus lifted high? And one of our, one of our metrics that we're looking at in our rubric of trying to decide, is this from God or not, cannot be, have I had the same exact kind of experience that that person's had? That's not a part of it. It's what does this spirit do with Jesus? Because one of the spirit's main goals in our life is to make Jesus beautiful. To make Jesus magnificent. To make Jesus breathtaking. To remind us of all the riches that are ours because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I love the way that Frederick Drayle Bruner put it when he said, The work of the Holy Spirit is to thrill us with Christ. Yes. 
That's it. The Holy Spirit is shy about everything except Christ. But about Christ, the Spirit is downright bullish. What a beautiful picture. And I think that's what Paul wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be uninformed or misinformed. Because if we're uninformed, we will be underformed. And he wants us to know that the Spirit exalts Jesus so that we can bow in worship. That we can bow in worship. This phrase, Jesus is Lord, happens to be one of the earliest church creeds, quote unquote, that existed. It was one of the ways that the early church talked about the gospel. The gospel in three words, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of heaven and earth. It's the way that Paul would put it in Romans chapter 10 when he said, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what Paul isn't only interested in here is is what's coming out of your mouth. He also says, listen, you have to believe in your heart also. Because just saying Jesus is Lord doesn't do anything for anybody. Right? Because you could teach somebody who doesn't even speak English to just say Jesus is Lord. And if they do so, it won't mean anything to them. So Paul goes, no, no, no. It's got to have an impact on your heart as well. He's not just concerned about the literal saying of the phrase, that the Spirit would lead us to say the phrase, but to live the phrase. Jesus is Lord. That his lordship would break through in every corner of our lives, in our relationships, in our work lives, in our neighborhoods, with our families, that Jesus is Lord. And a confession is powerful only when it reflects the posture of our heart. And so what does that look like? Here's the, here's, let me just give you two things quickly. Number one, it looks like allegiance. When we say Jesus is Lord, we are implicitly saying alone. He's Lord alone. We're saying that means I'm not. We're saying that when Jesus says to do something, we are going to do it. Our allegiance is to him above all. That when Jesus says that this is the way that we should look at the world, we are going to say, yes, Lord, we will obey. When Jesus says things like, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who wrong you, and love those who hate you, our question has to be, do we have allegiance to Jesus or not? And so even when we think he's wrong, we say yes, because he's Lord. And we go, God will follow even if it doesn't feel right or feel good, or even in my mind, I think I should go a different way. You get that, don't you? That there are times you will disagree with Jesus. And when you do, if your declaration is Jesus is Lord, it means that you submit and surrender and obey even when you don't agree. But here's the second thing. Because we don't want this to turn into cold, duty-driven, militaristic obedience. The second thing it means is that Jesus has our affection. Because we know that we have his. This isn't cold, militaristic, duty-driven obedience. This is we love because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. And that we know that because he has given his life for us, he has forgiven our sin that he has called us his own, that he has made us righteous and holy, 
that he has proven throughout history his love for us. Did you know that one of the main things the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is cause you to love Jesus more? That even as we sing songs, oh, the precious blood of Jesus, I hope something inside of you just leaps, like maybe like that, right? Like something on the inside goes, yes and amen. I'm found in you and in you are all the riches of heaven that we could ever want. I'm found in you. Because I'm found in you, you call me your son or daughter. My name is engraved on the palm of your hands. You rejoice over me with singing. And as we understand his affection for us, the spirit will stir in us an affection back for him. In fact, I love the way Paul says it in Romans 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, let's even just, let's just pause right now. Because this needs to just transcend our, our head and get into our heart. So Holy Spirit, pour out your love. Even right now. Show us Jesus. Show us his sacrifice. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us a, a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation. Help us know the extent of your love the width and breadth and height and depth of your love. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Forgiven, adopted, made holy, all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. And the Spirit's ultimate criterion as our, our criteria, whether or not the spirit is genuine and from God is, what does it say about Jesus? And we'll be talking more about this over the next few weeks. But I just want you to take this in for a moment. That by the spirit of God, the same Jesus who conquered sin and death and evil resides with you. So John would continue writing to the churches. He already said the way you know if a spirit is from God is what do they do with Jesus? But then he goes on to write, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, so good. So good. Because when Jesus has our allegiance and our affection, meaning... When Jesus is really, truly Lord of our life, then we walk in his authority. I mean, after all, it was Jesus who said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. So friends, I want to humbly stand before you and and plead with you to ditch religious but not spiritual. It's from the enemy. It's not from God. Let's ask, let's just not just sing for a fresh outpouring. Let's pray for one, you guys. Let's ask God to do something great in our lives, in our church in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, 
for the glory of his name, but it's never going to happen if we don't walk in the power of the Spirit. Let's tell God we're open to anything that you want to pour out. Like our hands and our hearts are open. We're ditching our checklist. We're ditching all the things that we think it should align with. And the question before us is, is Jesus, does this exalt Jesus or not? That's, that's our question. I love the way that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it when he said, this is no age to advocate restraint. The church today does not need to be restrained, but aroused, awakened, to be filled with the spirit of glory, for she is failing in the modern world. And I don't know about you, but I, I have this sense that Jesus is stirring something new and I'm just praying, God, would you pour it out? So I'm not gonna stand before you and say, play it safe. I'm not gonna stand before you and say, here's the box, get in it or get out. I'm gonna stand before you and beg the spirit to move in our midst, to arouse us, to awaken us and to fill us afresh. I don't want to sensationalize, but I need to repent of minimizing. How about you? How about you? See, he wants to lead. He wants us to worship. And both of those things set a groundwork for moving and living in his power, just like Jesus did. So friends, this week, let's live with expectation of the Spirit's empowering. Now I wanna close our time with a time of prayer. We're gonna sing one last song, but there's been a prayer that the church has prayed for centuries. It's a three word prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the implication of the prayer isn't that we believe that Holy Spirit isn't here already. We, we know the Spirit lives in us. We are convinced of that. And yet we know that the Spirit fills afresh. And yet we know that the Spirit moves in power when people are open. So our prayer, come Holy Spirit, is not because you're not here yet, but we are asking you to move out of the guest room and come in to the family room of our house that you might have your way. Amen? So I'm gonna invite you to just pray with me. In fact, would you stand? And I'm just gonna invite you, would you just pray this with me? I'll say, I'll pray the phrase. And then if you would pray it back together corporately, and then we'll just take a moment to sit with that. And then I'll lead us into another phrase. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, and bind our brokenness. Come, Holy Spirit, and bind our brokenness. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your church with power. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your church with power. Come, Holy Spirit, 
and let us experience the love of God afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, and let us experience the love of God afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. Amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.